0: Hello, Renoites listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McQuivy. I'm your host as always. Thank you so much for joining me. This episode is the last one of season two. Last year, I did 32 episodes of Renoites. That was a very long season. It was basically 32 weeks in a row with almost no breaks, a lot of work, a lot of stress, and I decided that this year in 2022. I would break the show up into seasons. I'm still hoping to do about 30 episodes, but instead of all in a row, I'm hoping to take some breaks throughout the year. So we have reached that point. The first 10 episodes are done. I'm so excited that this last episode of season two is with Connie Ray, who is a local media star doing a lot of work with communicating with the public, having great conversations. And this episode was fantastic. Fantastic. I was so grateful to be able to talk to Connie, learn so much about what she cares about, the way that she communicates with people, the stories that she wants to tell about Reno. Really, really wonderful to have her on the show. I'm excited for my little bit of a break from the show for the next month or so, but we'll be back with season three in early May. In the meantime, I'm hoping to reshare some older episodes, some clips from episodes, and Make sure that as many people as possible are hearing the great conversations from Season 2 and all of the great conversations from last year. Tons of excellent episodes from 2021, so please be sure to scroll back. Check out the archive. There's a lot of great episodes that you may not have heard yet. Another piece of really exciting news about the podcast, after getting requests from several listeners, I have finally launched a Patreon account. The way that Patreon works is that it allows listeners to financially support projects like Renoites. If you go to patreon.com slash Renoites, you'll see several different subscription tiers or patron tiers that allow you to contribute on a monthly basis as much or as little as you feel you would like to. At each different level, I'm hoping to offer customized rewards, things like exclusive merchandise for patrons or bonus episodes, early access to episodes, shout outs to patrons on the podcast, all kinds of great things coming up soon. So please check out patreon.com slash renoites. And if you would like to support the show financially, it really makes a huge difference. Even as little as $5 a month, that's like a, buying me a cup of coffee once a month from a handful of listeners would be enough for me to pay for advertising, for me to expand the show, for it to be more financially sustainable. So please consider becoming a patron. I'd be very grateful for your support. Of course, I am endlessly grateful to DJ Trivia Nevada for supporting the show so much so far. As you know, I host Trivia at DJ Trivia Nevada, several different venues around town, and Vicky at DJ Trivia has been so supportive of this show. One of my earliest and most consistent supporters has helped me grow the show, has helped me connect with people, was a fantastic guest when she was on the show last year. So thank you so much to DJ Trivia Nevada Please support them too. They have helped bring the show to you, and I hope that you will help support them as well. There's 20 venues now, 20 games a week. So all around town, there's a DJ Trivia game near you, probably Sunday through Thursday. Check out DJ Trivia at for all those locations. Also, huge thanks to This Is Reno. Bob Conrad was the first guest on Renoites, the very first episode, and we had a great conversation about local media. Since then, it's been fantastic to have his support on this project. I'm very grateful that Bob is doing the work he's doing in local news reporting. It's a little different than the podcasting world, but I'm so glad that I got to meet him, got to know him, and am able to help Promote the work that he's doing in local journalism. This is Reno is covering a lot of local news in a way that we did not see before, and I'm grateful that he is bringing that experience, that journalistic mindset and way of thinking, to our city. It's very, very important. So check out thisisreno.com. You can also find them social media. That's thisisreno.com. Huge thanks, Vicky. Huge thanks, Bob. Really, really appreciative of your support. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, episode topic ideas, anything you want to hear from the show, any feedback from me, I would love to hear it. Send me an email. My address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And now, this week's guest, Connie Ray. Connie Ray, welcome to Renoites. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast.
1: This is really fun. Don't you love podcasting?
0: It is So fun it is this project has been one of the best things that I've done I haven't finished the schedule for this season but I'm pretty sure this episode we're recording now is going to be the last one of the season so that'll be 42 episodes that I've done I think this one's going to be episode number 42 which has been just incredible in a year to have 42 amazing conversations and get to know what people are all about. And this is what you have been doing in Reno for a very long time in your career is talking to people and having a lot of conversations. So I'm very excited to have you on the show because I think there's oh. a lot of overlap about the, the things we like about talking to people.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I enjoy this because I, I love people. I mean, I think that's pretty evident by my career and what I've done. I love to find out about people. I, want. I I feel like I become a better person the more that I know about other people. And I think that's why I've always enjoyed interviewing or talking with people because you're, you're always going to walk away from something. You're going to gain something.
0: Mm-hmm, totally. So most people probably know you from your long running show, Bill and Connie in the Morning, your big project for a really long time. You were the person on the radio that everyone listened to on their drive to work. And that's how you started your career was in radio. Can we start there with your interest in radio? I know you moved to Reno for that career. What drew you to radio? Why was that the first thing that you thought of as the the career path for you or the format that you enjoyed for pursuing, you know, a media career?
1: I was going to college in Seattle in the early 90s, which was a really epic time to be going to school, and I was going to a performing arts college, uh, Cornish College of the Arts, and I was drawn through my studies in I was originally was going to be an actress right I'm going to go in I'm going to be this actress and as I started studying you go through a lot of voice and speech training to become an actor I got to know a lot of the teachers closely and one of my professors had said to me this is a real good option for you Connie you have a knack for doing voices and getting a voiceover career And it was a nice supplement. You know, if you didn't make it on the stage, you could do some voice work on the back end. So I started doing some voice work in Seattle when I was in college. I'd always loved radio. There was a radio show, KISW, and they had Robin and Maynard in the morning. And when I was in college, I listened to them all the time and they did funny bits it was almost like vaudeville all over again, and mm. I loved that. There were voices and characters. They were doing all the characters. You knew it, but you mm. you bought into it, and you loved that kind of... I just liked that theater in the box in your car on your way home or way to work. It was like a nice way to start people's day off. So um, I kind of fell into radio from doing voice work.
0: Gotcha. And then so you moved to Reno, and... Did you expect to stay? Did you know anything about Reno? No, uh you know no. what, what was your entry into Reno like from oh, Seattle in Hunter, the in the, I mean, in the I'm, 90s? It's obviously a different city now.
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to date myself. I'm going to take you on a date uh way back trip. I drove a Dodge Neon and I went to literally every radio station that I could possibly meet with and I dropped off here we go cassette tapes with my being a DJ, so they would know what I was. I had voiceover work that I had done, so I had some collateral on that end, but I was literally going into radio stations and handing off cassette tapes. I had a friend of mine that I went to high school with in the Philippines. This is kind of an interesting story, because I did. My dad worked for the government, so I grew up in the Philippines. Hmm. And uh, my, one of my dear friends, uh, Tony, uh, said, Hey, I have a cousin who works in Reno. You should meet him. He will get you an interview with the, with the, the director of programming. And I was like, okay. So I, I drove to Reno. I'd never been to Reno. My aunt got married to like her third or fourth husband in Reno. That's like the extent of what I knew about Reno. Mm-hmm. And moved here. After I met with uh, Tony's cousin, I met uh, with the manager of the station and, and ended up moving down to San Diego with a friend of mine, staying with her for a couple months. We talked back and forth. I was still talking with other radio stations that I had dropped the horrible cassette tape off to. And um, I was offered a a position, a part-time position on K-Wins. And I moved up here to Reno. I packed everything in my little tiny Dodge Neon that didn't have a stereo. Isn't that funny? I was <laughs> I had to buy a stereo to put in it. And uh, it didn't have AC, which I learned quickly from one summer in Nevada that that was a a necessity. Mm -hmm. Because I came from Seattle, right? I didn't need an air conditioner. Right, right. And so I moved here. And to answer your question, I did not think I was going to stay here. I really thought that I would leave within two to three years. I I missed Seattle. I was hoping to get home or maybe go to another station in another part of the country. But I... I didn't expect to end up being here as as long as I was.
0: Mm -hmm. I imagine that part of the growing affection for Reno or connection to the city is that every day you were having a conversation with the people of Reno. I imagine that over the years, that just naturally begins to feel like your community and your family and your people. Is that something that you think happens when you are making yourself like a a member of the community and communicating with the people, do you think it was just kind of inevitable or natural that you would grow an attachment to the city?
1: I always had a plan that I wanted to be a giver to my community. I always wanted to give back. It was just the nature of how I was raised. Um, that's my parents were, they always tithed to a church. We always volunteered. We always gave back. So I knew that that was going to be a part of my, my career. But what I loved was with radio, yes, I had an opportunity to really connect with people. We had regular callers that you get to know, um, but it's also the community events, right? The working with the nonprofits was something that I just, uh, to this day, I do because I have a passion for giving back to my community. And there's so many wonderful nonprofits that are supporting our community and making it the, the place that we love to call home. So... I felt like there was this really awesome opportunity to connect the two things that I wanted to do the most because we were volunteering, we were working for renowned children's hospital, we were doing work with Step Two, we were doing work for the Salvation Army, uh, we were helping out with the SBCA. There was this all this opportunity to work with varying nonprofits, and then you find you find a connection, and I I would say in the beginning for me that was Step Two. I was so connected to what they were doing. I just believed in their mission so
0: much. Mm-hmm. For people who aren't that familiar with Step 2, can you talk a little bit about that organization and what they do?
1: Yeah. Step 2, uh, they are a local nonprofit here in Northern Nevada, and they help women and their children through recovery, and they do it in a very, very unique way. It's really about keeping the family connected and 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 together. Uh, it's sober living, but it's also about a, a second chance at life, really really diving in deep, everything from learning how to prepare a healthy meal, how to do finances, to how to live a clean and sober life if you're there because of addiction issues. And it was just an incredible program that I saw people transforming and and really going to college, women that were living on the streets or addicted to methamphetamines. And, And especially at that time, we had a meth problem in Reno, so that was I thought an answer to a problem that we had in our community and they just grew near and dear to my heart. And then the same thing happened with children's miracle network being connected to renowned children's hospital. The connection for me there is I started my life in a children's hospital. I was born with a hole in my heart. I had open heart surgery when I was four days old. I had another open heart surgery when I was about three and a half years old so I, I spent a lot of time in a children's hospital. I got really connected with the families, the mission. I mean, you talk about miracles happening every day. That is what is happening at renowned Children's Hospital. It's, it's magical. You know, you, you start to find those, those nonprofit connections that just are near and dear to your heart. So it was great. It was like I had this amazing friend every morning, you know, on the, on the way to work. And then those friends were following me to help support our community. And that's what I really, really loved about the career that I was building.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm realizing just doing this podcast in the last year is that there is this natural connection with organizations and with people in town. It's not just the conversations that you're having for the actual show or product or podcast or whatever that you're doing. It really is just naturally lends itself to greater connections. And then you realize, oh, there's more I could be doing to help these organizations or to spread this message or to communicate with people, even if you're not trying to. And for for you, it sounds like it was something that you already had a natural inclination towards. And I kind of did too, but I've really found just even in the last year that I am more invested in the community. I am more, more interested even than I was about some of these organizations that I wouldn't even think that I would be that curious about. But once you start to have the conversations, it's all of a sudden something lights up where you're like, oh, wait, you feel a sense of community. It kind of drives you towards, I think, some of those actions.
1: I think that is why I left radio to start the next stage, because for 22 years, I had been talking to people and the, and the radio format is really unique, right? You got to play music. You got to play games. You got to give stuff away. You got to interview people. You got to have a, a, a topic running. You got to talk about Hollywood stuff or you got to talk about silly things that are going on. And oftentimes I would meet people in the community that were just blowing my mind with what they were doing. and just I felt like, gosh, I'm sorry I gave you like a minute and a half to talk <laughs> about what you were doing. And that was really the catalyst for the next stage. How could we create something that was engaging for people that was highlighting what was going on in our community, like a three to five minutes, kind of that sweet spot for video, mm-hmm. but really have a powerful message behind it. And I had been working with, you know, over the years, these varying talents that I had worked with either in radio or met through people in in video because of my background. You know, I still had connections to the theater world and You know, I still had connection to Seattle and and L.A. So I got to know people and a lot of people that were in L.A. were coming back here. And that's really how I started to meet some of the people that I helped build my team. And then we created the next stage, which was this platform to share stories, very much like what you're doing right here with people, people, companies, organizations that were really taking things to the next level and that was a really cool opportunity for me because, again, I love people. There are so many awesome people in Reno doing so much. You you would be blown away. Like sometimes I'm even like, really here, <laughs> Reno created that. Who knew?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: you know, for me, that says something about the region that we're in, the people that live here, the creativity the drive, the education, the values. And I loved that.
0: Yeah. Reno is a a vibrant and exciting city, which is one thing that I'm so grateful for. Because when I was growing up here, I left when I went to college in 2001 and then moved back in 2017. And Reno had completely transformed itself in, I think, a good way. There are people who are a little negative on some of the changes to Reno which I understand, but I would much rather live in a city that is growing, that's exciting, that people want to move here, that there's a lot of things happening. You mentioned about kind of the finding the right format for things, that radio, some you only give, you know, you only get a minute on there. And one of the things that I've really appreciated about this podcast and about what you're doing with The Next Stage is like finding the right format for the message that you're trying to convey. And sometimes... That is, like you said, video. It's like that four to five minute video. I saw one you did for the city of Reno not that long ago that was great and really highlighted a lot of the stuff that's going on in town. I really love the long form podcast. Like the uh, the hour or like hour-ish is, I think, such a great sweet spot for substantive conversation. So that's why I've kind of leaned into that format. But I think it's, really exciting to have all of these options for media of like, how do we want to communicate the message that we want to do? And it's great that you kind of saw the opportunity to convey those messages in a different way with the next stage and doing video. So can you talk a little bit about what types of guests or topics you've had on the next stage and what makes for a good segment? What have what are the things that you think have made really good fits for that format and for the next stage?
1: I have done everything from Urban Roots, which uh, their mission here is to educate now people, not just kids, about where their food comes from. And they've really truly expanded their mission. It's, it's an opportunity to learn uh, about our health and how gardening and really understanding where your food comes from creates a healthier lifestyle and in turns creates a healthier community. They are just spectacular, the way in which they do the work that they do. We've also dove into some very delicate topics. Um, We did a podcast with Walk the Talk America, which is a nonprofit that is bridging gun ownership and mental health. Um, I became very active in suicide prevention. I lost my stepdaughter, Katie, to suicide in 2018. And it really was important for me to to work with Walk the Talk America because my stepdaughter did use a firearm and I had a fear of guns. I also wanted to blame the gun, but I also felt like if I wanted to be someone that wants to change the way we talk about suicide and how we educate uh, the population so that we can prevent suicides. If, if 50% of Americans and now more own guns, I can't be closed minded. I need to educate myself. And I think it was one of the most brilliant segments. We did a two part segment with them and uh, I learned so, so much uh, about my thoughts and my views Uh, And then we've also uh, done some great lighthearted, you know, the Karma Box project with Grant Denton. And Mm -hmm. I know know you know Grant and he does incredible work. And I just loved his idea of an opportunity to have people just give back to the the homeless in a way that maybe they've never thought they were able to do. It makes you feel good to drop off some socks into a Karma Box. So those were the stories that I was excited to, to share with people. Like we, and these are, agencies and individuals that came up with ideas that are right here in, in, in Northern Nevada. So it was an opportunity to, to highlight, you know, a lot of the people we were working with were nonprofits, uh, but, but also just individuals that had a really awesome idea. You know, I think about bee friendly. uh, They are teaching people like the importance of not killing your bees, Mm -hmm. like they're pollinators. They're important. And that was just such a fun. I was, I'm terrified of bees. I had to interview a man with beehives around me. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my mind. But it was those stories that I was like, wow, this is really cool.
0: Yeah. Like you said, I think there is no end to the, organizations, people, projects, things going on in Reno. When I started the show, I tell people all the time, I'm never, ever, ever going to run out of people to talk to in Reno about things that they're doing. We're a city with so much going on and we're growing all the time. And that's really exciting to know that there's always someone that I'm going to meet or run into or be connected with who's going to have something really interesting to say and something that is uh, of value to the city that I want to be able to share with people. And that's a really exciting feeling to know that Um, there is a lot of stuff going on in town and I'm never going to run out of people to talk to. I love these conversations and knowing that there's an endless supply of them feels very good.
1: Well, and you know, going back to when I said, Oh, it's like two years. I mean, Marina for two years, I'm out of here. It's very much like what you said. You, you went to college and you came back and you're like, Oh, this is a whole different place. You know, I moved here in November of 98 and It is not what it was in November of 98. I really Mm -hmm. felt like an outsider. I felt like people didn't like you because you weren't from Nevada. You weren't a a battle born. Uh, But then as time has gone on, I feel it's a very welcoming community. And I see a lot of people coming here. And I, and I I also see the problems that we face because we do have people coming here and there is a lot of change. Um, One of the projects that we did that you were mentioning, the one with the city, I thought was so interesting. Alex Dutinsky, who is Mm -hmm. the executive director for the Downtown Reno Partnership, I had asked him, you know, what are some of the challenges that you face as a bid? uh, uh, Basically a bid is they're out there trying to, working with local businesses, they all pay into this fund, fund to clean up downtown. And he said... You know, he comes from L.A. He said people didn't mind change, you know, let's bring it on. But we Mm -hmm. have heritage here and people don't like to see heritage changed here. They want to keep it the way it was. And I do see that and respect that because, right, it's, you know, we did a a next stage with Weird Reno, which was with the magicians, Mm -hmm. Ginger and Kalen. And they're taking people around town, showing them all the weird, wacky, crazy things about Nevada. We don't want those things to go. That's what makes Reno so special. So I see both sides, but at the same time, we need to grow and we, you know, we have kids at the university, students at the university, like we want to keep them here Mm
2: -hmm. so
1: that they can continue to work here and, and have their families here and. So we need to grow to provide the lifestyle that that next generation is looking to have.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that Reno's in a, I mean, we're not unique in this. There's the issues of cities in this part of the country um, being, they're growing, there's not enough housing. Like there are a lot of spillover effects from cities changing in the way that Reno is. But Reno does have a strong connection to its its history. We have a pretty strong identity. We're adaptable. Like we've shifted what we are focused on as a city. I mean, we're much more interested in arts and culture and food than we were previously. It was, you know, for a long time, just all about the gambling and the downtown. So Reno grows, it changes, but I agree that there needs to be conversations about these things. If there are people who are upset that Reno is changing, we need to figure out how we can grow and change in a way that's responsible, that uh, is respectful to Reno's history. And I think conversations are a really great place to start for that because if you if you're not even talking about it or if you're shutting down ideas then uh we're never gonna you know we're never gonna grow in a healthy way i think that having those conversations about what reno should look like if we're gonna grow how are we gonna grow right What, what will what will be good for us and i think that it's great that you're focused on that with the next stage of looking forward right is that generally the idea of the next stage is as things are growing or changing or advancing you want to look at at how we do it at why we're making the decisions that we're doing? Absolutely.
1: We we had an opportunity to interview a gentleman. He owns MudBots and MudBots is creating concrete homes. Right? So they're literally cranking out they can crank out 20, 30 homes in a day. In a day. That is the future. That is technology. That is innovation. That is where we're headed. If we have a housing crisis, and I'm thinking, okay, well, Reno's talking about having a housing crisis. This guy seems interesting. You know, what is he doing? Could we use that technology here? Like, that was kind of my idea. Um, uh, Chris Swanson, who uh, was one of our executive producers for The Next Stage, he had met him, and he was like, I'm really intrigued with this. Can we? I think I got him. We, we got an interview with him. Let's do it. And, I, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was during the pandemic. We had this... Do basically what you and I are doing right here, trying to do a video through Zoom so I could interview him and being able to see what he was doing. Just because for me, it was like, is that an answer for something our community could look towards? And it's innovation, looking at the future. So mm-hmm. I feel like there are those opportunities where that wasn't necessarily a story from this area, but it was an answer to a problem that I and many of us were seeing in our community, so this is the future of building. What what does that look like? Could it be implemented in my town?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that it's smart to look at other places. I think that sometimes we can be a little myopic and think that Reno is the only city in the world, and all of our problems are unique to Reno. But there are other cities, other communities that are dealing with a lot of the same things we are. And the best place to get ideas is from talking to people. Who have dealt with these kind of things before? Who are you know already working on these things, even if they're not in Reno? Because we can, you know, we can borrow these ideas. Like you said, Alex from the Downtown Reno Partnership worked on bids in LA and had that experience of, oh, this is what it's like when you want to change what a downtown area looks like. This is how it works. So bringing in that knowledge, I think, can be really valuable for a city like Reno that does have a lot of challenges around growth.
1: And, and I I get it. Like I've heard people say, oh what is painting Locomotion Plaza going to do for downtown? I'm like, well, it makes it something interesting to come and see. Mm -hmm. Like, every great city that you go to has a great downtown. And you go there because it's full of art and it's got culture and it's got really awesome stores that you don't have and restaurants you won't find anywhere else. Like, That's going to be an added draw for us. And going back to what you were saying, we were this casino town, we're changing. We still have Caesars in downtown. Like that's a multi-million dollar gaming community. Let's work together. Let's If we had this really awesome downtown, it's, you know, you go to Vegas because of the strip. You're there. It's all fun and it's exciting. And we need to create that not just for the visitors, but for the people and residents that live here too. We want fun and exciting things. I I love that now that we're getting back to events, Locomotion Plaza, I mean, how many times have we have done the grape stomp over there or the Italian festival? It's like, blah, it is. Whatever you're walking around, it's down there. It gives you something to look at. And then if you're staying in one of the rooms at Whitney Peak or uh, at the El Dorado and you're looking over, it's, it's something to look at. It's better than hey, is that the thing that covers the train? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like, come on. Yes, it's art. It makes, it's beautification and it does matter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I like you, I appreciate that you mentioned for locals too, because I know that there has always been this focus on tourism. Gaming is very much a tourist driven um, industry, but having lived in cities with great downtowns, I lived in Portland for a few years and I loved Portland because downtown felt like, a vibrant place. There was a lot going on. There's these like food truck pods and the Pioneer Courthouse Square and all of these destinations that made it feel like a quote unquote real city. And Reno has been missing that for a long time. There's been downtown, there's been the casinos, but I don't think the locals have really thought of downtown as our place. And I think that has changed in recent years where the people who are moving here, they want a downtown. The people who like myself, grew up here and haven't really had a strong downtown. We want that for our city. So I'm excited to see a lot of kind of energy and money and attention paid to downtown and also for the environment. I'm not a big fan of sprawl. Reno can't grow outwards forever. So I want walkable. I want, you know, better public transit and all those things really have to be built around a strong downtown. So I'm very grateful that there's a lot of focus on the downtown area.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at the Aces ballpark, you know, my, my folks are um, live outside of Seattle and there's a small ballpark, the, the Tacoma Rainiers and they'll go to that ballpark, but our, the Aces ballpark blows that ballpark out of the water. That's another way to drive locals to the downtown area. I love this. I love going to the Reno Aces. It's so much fun. I love baseball. I love sitting out watching the games it's fun. That's another creative way. The climbing wall at Whitney Peak—it's mm-hmm. the world's largest climbing wall in the middle of a city. Like we have a lot to offer people, and we're going to continue to to grow on that. I believe as a city, and I understand that there's you're going to have pushback, and but you you the way I've always looked at it in life, just like when I was in radio, you got to be moving forward. Mm-hmm. I love the art of radio. I I will always love radio. It's where I first came from, but I needed a change. I needed a challenge. I needed to see, and radio was changing, right? Radio Mm -hmm. was changing and it's not, I still believe in the art. I still like it. I still listen to local radio. I just was like, okay, I need, I need something else. Like you're, you, media is changing. How can I be in all of these facets of media, that was what my goal was in, in kind of leaving the radio. Like, okay, what else can I build?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finding like the right place for the message that you're trying to get out, I think is really important. And like I said, I think that I really love the podcasting format and it's been really rewarding for me, but I recognize that there is so much more as far as online media, There's, like short form. I don't have TikTok, but I understand that the power of short form video is wild so knowing kind of where your audience is the best way to get your message across i think is really important and kind of like finding the niche that you're comfortable in as well you know we can try to adapt to every change in media and and move here and there but that is hard and not everyone necessarily has the right skill set or experience for every different type of media. So kind of finding where you fit, I think is important.
1: And collaboration. I think collaboration is so key. You know, one of the greatest books I ever read was Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. And one of the things I really gained from that was, you know, I was like, what? I can have a four hour work week? That sounded cool. But it was collaboration. If you're not good at something, farm it out, wherever Mm -hmm. it is, find the person that is good at that thing. Like I struggle all the time. Like I, I'll be on, I'll be brutally honest right now, Connor. I hate proposals. Like, why can't you just know who I am and what I'm going to do? And what? But you got to get into the legal of it. Right? So I, it's the thing I can't stand. It is better for me to, to hire someone to do that. That's good at it. That has that. That's what they're good at. Plus, don't you want to work with people that are the best at what they do Like Mm -hmm. that's what I like is collaboration so we can all come together and create something that's really over the top because you have that person's creativity on video, that person's creativity on script, that person's creativity on sales, that person's creativity with color, you know, putting it all together with marketing. Like Mm -hmm. that's what I'm all about is finding those people because I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Yeah. And you waste our time when we're so focused. And that's what I've really learned, like having my own business. Don't waste your time. If it's something you absolutely hate, and, and I get it. Some people are like, well, I can't afford that. You, you'll you find a way.
0: <laughs> if you hate it enough, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. If you hate it enough, you will find a way.
0: Yeah. that's That's kind of where I'm struggling a little bit because I'm very much a control freak about this project. But I don't love... I don't love the marketing, advertising stuff. And also this is just an independent project. I don't have any money. So it's expensive to actually advertise. So I'm in that position where I'm like, okay, I need to do a lot more like active social media outreach. I need to be commenting on things. I need to be doing more, more marketing. And I just want to have the conversations. So that's the hard part, where It's like, okay, how do I either train myself up or motivate myself or find a sustainable, affordable way to do the things that I'm not really prepared or not just prepared, but maybe not willing to do. Maybe I just don't want to. So finding ways to either motivate myself or find those partnerships that help is it's a real challenge when you're trying to to build something that is that's new that you haven't done before.
1: Well, and then you also look at where are we with social media? We have a large population that feels that social media is causing anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. You got another component where people are like, you got to market, market, market. You got to get everything on social media. You got to do this. That's how it's going to work. You know, get out there. And then you have, you talk to anyone. You talk to anyone that is like, oh, I do social media management. Really? Because you're going to be sick of that in about six months. Trust me, I've done it. I do it now. Isn't it weird? It's like this monster in the room where you know you got to do it, but you dread doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's incredible people out there that do know how to do it, and I applaud them because they're freaking amazing. But we, marketing is constantly changing. Like you said, oh, now it's the TikTok. Well, is it? Because maybe it's the TikTok for one generation, but what about, like, I'm in my late 40s, and uh, and you get into the 50, people in their 50s, you know, they like that Anthony Bourdain, longer, deep conversation, great visual. I think that's why some people enjoy a longer podcast. Mm-hmm. You get a deeper conversation. Why can Joe Rogan talk for nine hours? Because <laughs> people like the deeper conversation, right? Something, so you got this one side that's like short, cute, quick, fast, no, talk all day. Do whatever you want. You, we have got no time in the world. So it's such an interesting time to be in media and, and then how to market all of that because it's all different. Everybody wants something different. I like a good TikTok here and there, but I really like a great documentary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's smart not to discard forms of media just because they're maybe less popular as they used to be there is still a place for print. There is still a place for radio. There is still a place for te- you know, television. So I want to talk to you about Love Reno too, because that is like a local television show which airs on TV, but it's also on YouTube. So there's kind of this bridging of traditional media with new media. And I think Love Reno is a good example of that. So can you talk a little bit, this is like a kind of longer form TV show. So the next stage is these short clips, but you do... Love Reno, which is what episodes are what, like 20, 30 minutes. It's a, it's a full on show, right? So talk about Love, Love Reno and kind of what that's been like moving into kind of like longer form, well-produced real TV.
1: Well, it really goes back to the team that we have. Uh, the executive producer for Love Reno, Steve Duvall, has an amazing background. And I really mean that. He did like 17 seasons of Amazing Race. He uh, worked on Border Wars. Uh, he did a lot of reality TV, Big Brother. And then most recently, he created the show uh, A Dog's Life on Disney Plus with Bill Farmer. And Bill Farmer is a Disney legend. He is the voice of Goofy and, and, and hundreds of other Disney characters. But he and Steve are really good friends. So, um, But he loved this area. He started out here as a uh, camera guy for, for Channel 4 back in the day in the late 80s went to L.A., and then came back here because he loves this area, right? We're all drawn, like, you came back, I didn't leave. We love it here. So we were like, hey, uh, wouldn't it be awesome? He had always wanted to do a show about this area because he loves it, right? This is why we all live here. And uh, we were friends with Dave Mulligan. He had hosted a couple of travel shows before, And so we're like, hey, you know, during the pandemic, we just kind of threw this idea together. And honestly, I'm like, I don't know how it was like we didn't like put it on paper and just we had this concept. We kind of put things together. Originally, it was going to be drinks with friends. We were just going to do drinks and interview people and do it short formed. But we decided to go uh, do the longer form because we realized we could pull those shorter clips out, use those for social media do a longer show, which kind of gained some traction. I had seen some other local shows over the years that had done late night, which was what we were doing, 1135. We were coming on Sunday night and they had kind of got like that, you know, they got that local following, you know, it kind of became grassroots. And so that's kind of what we wanted I would say about uh, the sixth episode in, which was a great episode, we went up to Virginia City because Love Reno is not just all the things in Reno. What we love about Reno is, is also how close we are to other amazing things, right? Totally. I mean, we can go to San Francisco for the day. We can go to Lake Tahoe. We can be in Genoa. Virginia City is a historic national historic monument. It's right here. So uh, that was kind of the concept. It was a love letter to the place we call home is really what we did. Um, Yes. The challenges are it is really stressful to do a 30 minute show weekly. Mm -hmm. A lot of editing. Uh, Sabrina Moberly is our editor and she is a goddess. She's freaking amazing. She comes uh, originally from here, but did a lot of work in LA on music videos, dance videos Uh, She and I had worked together on the next stage and had done some video work together over the years. She's just awesome. She gets better and better, but it's a lot of work. But we also had a really good plan. Like we really mapped it out in the sense that we knew like our drinks with friends segment. Thank you to the Reno brew bike because we could throw five people on there and do five interviews in an hour and a half. Mm. And then come back another day and do the other, you know, we did 12 episodes, so 12 drinks with friends. So we could do, we could break it up. And that was great. And then our movers and shakers, Edon was so gracious in uh, helping us fund that segment because they were funneling some amazing topics to us, going back to great people that are doing fantastic things. Wes King is the creator of the Tahoe Trail Bar. I mean, this guy... Hiked in Tahoe as a kid, and his whole goal for creating that bar was because when he was a kid, his mom said, you got to be home by dark. Well, if I have to come home at lunchtime. So he wanted to create something that would sustain you all day. So I just thought, so cool, right? And then our artists, which allowed us to feature all of the local artists that we have here. Every, And it's not just musicians, right? We forget. We have Josie Rock, who's this incredible mural artist, artist. Um, uh, we have Joe Ness who's creating uh, the windows of the world at, at the pepper mill. So there was a lot of different artists that we could, could feature. Um, and so it was just this, this idea. And then of course our what ups, just being on the street and talking to random people is just awesome. Everybody loves to do that. And we were, we were so lucky. I mean, the mayor jumped on board with us. So we had a chance to interview Hillary Sheavey, but it, it's, it's a lot of work, but I learned a lot. We were just, we just had a meeting the other night and we said, if, if we do, if we move forward with this or we don't, it doesn't matter because we learned something from this that is going to make us better on the next project. And mm-hmm. that, that's what I love about my team is that we're always looking for the next, like, what did we learn from this? Oh, that's going to make the next job so much better, so much more fun. And those are the people you got to find that you want to work with.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I think I really appreciate that the format allows you to have that variety of guests and topics. And again, it's similar to what I'm trying to do with this podcast is having, you know, not just one narrow focus and being able to, you know, obviously I'm doing it in long segments and each episode is different, but there is that, uh, you know, embrace of the diversity of ideas and topics and the whole range of interesting things that are happening in Reno. I think that makes for better content. And it just opens you up, I think to a bigger audience as well. Cause there are people who will not listen to half of the episodes that I do, but they might be really interested in the other half. And there are people who will watch love Reno and maybe they don't care as much about one segment as another, but there's going to be something in there for everybody. And I think that is, that's a good way to do media.
1: And that's the joy of YouTube, right? Is so we can put each episode up and say you're a foodie and you just want to watch the foodie philosophy segments in each episode. You can click right on the foodie philosophy segment will start right there. So that, you know, thank you, YouTube, for doing that. But that's exactly it. The show is not like, I'm. do I expect everyone to sit down and be like, gosh, I'm going to watch this 30-minute show. We all know that that is most likely not going to happen. But they are seeing the segments that they like, or they're going to see them on social media, or they're going to see them on YouTube. They're going to watch. What if it leads them to the next YouTube episode and they decide they want to watch that? That was really the the idea for us. And, and again, going back to our true love of where we live, like this is, just like you, a chance to highlight all of these wonderful people. And I felt like, too, we're artists that are creating here in Northern Nevada. It was our opportunity to show everyone what we are doing and how we're growing and how we're creating. And this was another project for us to... To get out there and say, Hey, we, we love you. These are the things we're doing. You know, let's mm-hmm. create together. What, what are you looking to do? Cause we're already like, we've already got a, a few other show ideas and concepts that we want to do. And like you said, how do you package those? Do you want to package those as a TikTok thing? Do you want to package those now as a, uh, as a docu series that we do on YouTube or, you know, do, or do we still need local media? Do we need to do local broadcast TV uh, what are the hours? You know, there's all those questions that are constantly going in your mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and it adds the creative process.
0: Mm-hmm. And you do live stuff too. So I know you MC the haha that I went to a few weeks ago, which was really, really fun. And you are also kind of like a live emcee for events and things like that. I'm curious about your experience of working live on radio as doing emcee stuff versus produced stuff where you have more planning that goes into it. Maybe there's editing. Do you feel differently when you're performing those two different types of media? Do you have a preference for one or the other? I'm just always curious because again, this show is pre-recorded, edited, It gives me a little bit of like a, a safety blanket to feel like, okay, I have a little bit of gap between what I'm creating initially in this conversation and what ends up out to the world. You know, I can shape a little bit, but in the live world, you don't really have that. So I wonder if does that create a more sense of uh, either like anxiety about how you perform or do you like the spontaneousness of, you know, being on a live mic? What's that like the contrast of the the pre-recorded and pre-prepared stuff versus all of the live stuff that you do?
1: I come from a theater background, which is live. So I kind of live on the adrenaline of live. Anything can happen and anything has happened. I've had things go awry. Live. But I think I like that. I, I, I mean, if I were to say I, I enjoy live, you know, emceeing is always fun because you know, it's big and you're in front of a lot of people and you're and it. You, most of the time when you're emceeing, it's not super serious. I, I just I love everything about live. Because there's an there's an energy in your stomach that butterflies. That's what I live for. So I enjoy that so much. But the pre-produce is great because each time I watch something, like uh, you watch episode one to episode 12 of Love Reno, and I, uh, episode 12 is far better than episode one. We're more comfortable with each other. Dave and I had never worked on camera together. There's so many things you're learning back and forth. So there is this kind of sense that um, – you know it's um uh, it's challenging because you're but it's just a different challenge so um I, absolutely i love the live because there's that pressure to to be on and be perfect um and there's also what can go wrong or what can be funny or what's instantaneous because i've had incredible moments from something being live and would never would never t- replace that and it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been like that had it been pre-recorded
0: One of the things that is a common thread among, it seems, all of your projects is you are the center of them. It is Connie Ray. These are Connie Ray projects. You are a a local figure, we will say. Celebrity is a big word, I think, for any kind of local smaller market, but you're definitely at the center of all of your projects, and you have a personal brand, and I'm always curious what goes into, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you're comfortable with? I get imposter syndrome real bad. When I was starting this podcast, my first thing is like, am I the guy to do this? Why me? What's so special about me that I should be doing this thing? And eventually I was like, well, no one is doing it. No one is doing this particular format and having these type of conversations. So whether I'm the guy or not, I'm just going to be the guy. But it makes me a little uneasy sometimes to kind of you know, I, my name is on the show. It is, you know, Connor mcquivy's podcast and everyone is, has to know about me and what I'm doing. It is a little weird to center yourself on these projects, or at least it feels weird to me. What is that like for you? Because you, for your entire career have been, you know, you're Connie Ray. So how do you feel about kind of being a local figure of being well-known and kind of putting yourself, in the middle of all these projects for, for people to know you or feel like they know you?
1: I think there's a, first of all, I don't see myself as a celebrity, but I also cannot stand the term influencer because I'm not that either. Mm -hmm. I just want to make my community a better place. And I want to create projects that do that, that highlight the community that I call home or, the things that I feel are passionate. I, I'm not going to, and I'm not for everybody. I know that. I mean, I know people have turned the work that we've done to highlight some of the city projects. They become political and they may, I've been attacked for that. And I'm uh, whatever, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to run for office. I'm here to share a story that I see unfolding. And um, I, I mean, obviously when I went to college, I wanted to be an actress. So sure there's that, like, you know, I, I enjoy being out there as an entertainer, but I also want to be a storyteller, and that's something that I've always really enjoyed. I want, to, and I want to make people happy. I want people to have to feel cared for and loved and appreciated and valued. And you know, when I was on the radio, it was like, gosh, you know, someone could be driving to work this morning and just being had the worst day, or heading into the worst job and if I can make them laugh or have them feel good about themselves for just that few minutes before they go into work, I was going to feel, it made me feel like I was doing my part to make someone feel good. That's what I feel I do here. If I work in and I'm promoting and talking about mental health. I'm doing it because I want my community to have all the resources at hand. I don't want them to struggle. I want them to feel appreciated and I want better resources in my state. You know, we are low on the totem pole when it comes to mental health. We don't have a lot of funding. And I really feel that the more funding and more programs that we have available, the better we can be for our community. So I I fight for those things. I also love people who are creating. And if I can show, hey, look at this. This is what they're doing. This is so amazing. This could be the answer to a housing shortage. I want to be the person that shows that that potential project to someone. And I just feel it is part of who I am. You have to, if you want to make your community better, you better be involved. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and I feel like that's my contribution. And I never look at it as like me I'm just the vessel to share their story. It's not really about me. It's about them. It's about their product. It's about their nonprofit. It's about their passion. It's about their love of cooking and bringing their mother's recipe to to feed us for a foodie philosophy segment. It's it's the mayor hopping on the bike and saying, gosh, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't like to say I was from Reno. I said I was from Lake Tahoe. So I just wanted to make Reno better. Like, I love that she said that. It was so simple. I think we all in, in, down. We all have this like purpose. We want to, the place that we live to be the best. You know, whatever, what, how does that look like? What does that look like? And that's what I want. I just want the people in my community to feel loved and to feel appreciated.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I think that the collaboration piece is a big part of that. Like I said, I'm hosting this podcast and I'm on every episode, but it's an interview show. Every week yeah. is someone else's story and some what someone else is doing. And it sounds like that is a very, very common theme among basically everything you do. While I was doing a little research for this episode, like Googling around, I saw you all over the place, but every single thing was you sharing someone else's story or talking with other people. So even if you are kind of the consistent figure in all of these projects, it's very clear that it is not a kind of, self-centered venture, the things that you're doing. And I would like to think that I'm not doing the same either. Of course, there is that, like you mentioned, you wanted to be an actress. I don't, I've never thought of myself as a real performer, but there is some kind of like drive for attention that I think a lot of people have. And maybe that's an element of it, but it's very clear that the focus is not uh, a me, me, me thing. It's an us, us, us thing. Absolutely.
1: That, 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 that's it. I mean, we, we're a community and we do things when we are looking and supporting one another, we can do great things. And that's all it is. I just want people to be aware of what is around us. You know, we live in a beautiful place. We have creative people. We have engaging business. We have an outstanding university. We have challenges, I'm not gonna lie. I don't, I don't like to see homeless people in my community. I know we have problems. That's why I'm, I'm wanting to find out like, what more can we be doing for mental health? Like what more, what else is out there? You know, I work for a company called brain health restoration that is using Mert brain therapy. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. Mm -hmm. Like it's another way to help people with mental health conditions, anxiety, depression, PTSD, addiction. Let's Let's find alternative resources. That's my thing. Let's have a conversation. Let's learn what else is out there. The more we learn, the more we know. So Mm -hmm. that's all I'm wanting to know is, hey, the more you learn about this amazing place that you call home, there's also, uh, the more you know, there's more of a reason to fight for the place that you call home. If you, if someone says, gosh, I just don't like the way that's being done. Maybe it inspires them to get out there and and volunteer or become more active in the way the, the city is transforming or, you know, whatever. That's the other thing. Maybe you don't know what your calling is until you see something that we have worked to put out for you. If my introducing you to Urban Roots engages you to, to work with them and start gardening and it creates a connection with you and your grandson, I feel like I was a part of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I know this episode's mostly been about media and those kind of projects, but I do want to talk to you a little bit about the advocacy work that you do around mental health. I don't want to neglect that part of the conversation, even though that's not the focus of this episode. So can you talk a little bit about what you are advocating for and what kind of your experience has been with that organization and what this treatment that you're talking about is? Um, just a little bit about kind of your work on that end of the, the spectrum.
1: I obviously mentioned earlier that through the loss of my stepdaughter, uh, we just really became engaged in suicide prevention. I think one of the biggest things for us was suicide, it impacts the family directly, but it has a huge trickle-down effect, including the first responders that are arriving on these scenes. And that was something that my husband and I really thought about a lot uh, after losing our daughter. And, I was kind of approached by brain health restoration. They were using uh, this is not a new treatment. It's been embedded with special ops in the military, and a lot of people have been using it. And it uses b- electric brain light shocks on the brain to stimulate uh, your brain waves. And it's been very successful in helping people with PTSD and addiction and uh, autism, uh, anxiety, depression. And I was brought on originally just to follow a a young boy who had autism, who'd gone to the treatments. And what I saw was unbelievable, what I witnessed. And then I was seeing other, I came in and, and our company followed some other stories for them. And I was just blown away. I felt like this was another, it was an option that needed to be on the table. It is an FDA approved modality. It hasn't been completely approved for all like, FDA approved for autism. It's in those processes right now. As you know, COVID has, has pushed this back. I am advocating for more research, more funding, awareness, and to engage and find better solutions. We have a mental health problem. We are handcuffed, as we all know, to insurance companies and their protocols. And I just believe that we need to be opening these things up. Our daughter was on a lot of medications. And I'm not saying that medications and pharmaceuticals are bad, but I'm saying, can we look at other options? So that is really what I'm advocating for and why I work with brain health. I think they should be added to the option. If you have, because you'll talk to a lot of people with bipolar disorder or who have taken a lot of these psychotic meds, including my brother, they don't like them. They want another alternative. And that's what I, I want to fight for. I want different alternatives.
0: Mm-hmm. What is the next stage for Connie Ray? Where do you see yourself going? What are your, do you have big dreams and big goals for where you want to take your projects? Obviously you're doing a lot of new stuff in the, just the last few years. So looking forward, what are you excited about? What do you have coming up? Uh, and where would you kind of like to see your work take you?
1: I want to continue to engage in mental health. I want to f- flip the message. You know, we need to erase the stigma. There's a lot of wonderful people who are living with mental health issues and they are living wonderful lives and we need to be highlighting those stories. We need to be engaging and highlighting uh, great organizations and agencies that are continuing to fight for those who live with mental health. So Finding more projects like that is definitely um, something that we're doing, continuing to create, continuing to grow and collaborate. Um, I am so blessed to have the team that I have. And I think we are excited about finding ways to better our community. In the end, for all of us, for our team, we want to create projects that make a community feel good. We want to create projects that bring awareness and we just want to continue to let people know that you know, no pun intended, we love Reno, but we love our community, and if there's any way that we can continue to to highlight those to bring better to bring good we'll we'll continue to do
0: that. Excellent. So where can people find you? You have a lot of projects. I'm sure you're you're all over social media, you're on the TV, you're on YouTube. So for people who want to tap into the media ecosystem of Connie Ray. How can people connect?
1: Like you said, yes, Connie Ray on Facebook, uh, Connie Ray Girl on uh, Instagram. I have a website, connieray.com. You can follow the next stage on YouTube. Uh, love Reno is on the Connie Ray Network on YouTube as well. I encourage you to to join us for Love Reno and be a part of that. I mean, if you love this community, you're going to love the show because it's just so fun and we have such a good time. And I think that, you know, the city is part of the show too, right? We're at all these awesome locations and it, it's not just the people, but it's also the, the, where you know, the mountains and the, and Genoa and, and Virginia city. So, um, but I, I'm pretty easy to find and I'm a very approachable. I love people in my community. I'm out at a lot of things. Uh, I, I just want to connect with you. More, more more, than you think, I want to talk to you maybe more than you want to talk to me.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on this show. This was such a great conversation. It's nice to talk to someone who's also working in kind of the local community media space, talking to a lot of people, having a lot of conversations because I think it's really important work. And you are doing it in a lot of different ways with a lot of different people and it's really inspiring to see how much work you put into it and how much you create you have the number of conversations that you have created with people in this city about a plethora of issues about everything is is awesome so as a you know new podcaster who's just kind of in this last year dipping his toe in that local media space it's really great to see that it is something that is sustainable that there's an interest in that you can make a you know a whole ecosystem out of. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about these projects and uh, what has drawn you to them and how they all work. It really helps me have a better perspective about local media in general. So thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Absolutely. And thank you for doing what you're doing. I mean, we need more people like yourself. I love that you're just like, I'm going to try this. Like that's the greatest projects come from people just doing it, right? You got to do it. And if you do it, it'll happen. And you never know, like, again, even if it didn't turn out the way you wanted, you're going to learn something from that. So the next project's going to be even better because you've gained the knowledge. And I just would encourage you to continue because this is fun. I love it. I love great conversations. I love hearing uh, the people that you're talking to because it's just so cool to see what we have going on right here in our, our little community. It's really amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The one advice that I would give to people, I went and talked to the podcasting class at UNR in the journalism school. And I can't remember what the exact question was, but it was what advice would you give something like that? And really, it's if you have an idea for a project, if you have something that you care about, and you're not sure if it's the right time, or if you're the right person, or if you have the right experience, whatever. Just do the thing. No one else is going to do it for you. Just do the thing. Whatever it is, fail at it, do good at it, learn along the way. Um, I thought about doing a podcast for a very, very long time before I did this show. I wasn't sure about what topic I would do or what format it would be. And then one day I was like, you know what? I just need to do the damn thing. And it's worked out really well. So anyone who has any kind of project on their mind, great advice from Connie. And I could not agree more. Do the thing.
1: Yeah. Do it. You'll you'll never regret it. I promise you.
0: Excellent. Thank you again so much for coming on the show, Connie. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode and this entire season of Renoites. It has been such a blast to do the show this season. I've had so many great guests. I am blown away by the incredible stories, the experiences, the information that everyone has had to share. And of course, huge thanks to Connie Ray, such a fantastic conversation on this episode. I was so grateful to get to talk to her about her career in media, about conversations, about the importance of knowing what we want to do with our city, how we communicate about it, just tons of great stuff. And I'm so happy that she came on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Connie. This has been such a fun project and this season was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode and all of the others. Again, check out the archives, tons of great episodes in case you have not listened to all of them. I hope you'll find more that you enjoy. Again, if you enjoy the show and would like to support it, there are a few ways that you can do that. Please follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Renoites. If you would like to support the show financially, go to patreon.com/renoites and sign up to be a patron. A small monthly donation will make this show financially sustainable so I can keep having these conversations, keep producing this show. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of work and your encouragement financially, even at just a few dollars a month would make a huge difference. And I would be very, very grateful. And one way you can support for free is to leave a positive review on Apple podcasts, go to Apple podcasts, find the Renoites podcast and leave me a positive five-star review that lets people find the show. When they do find the show, it encourages them to listen I also just love to hear positive comments about the show, the things that you enjoy, the guests that you really like. That always brightens my day. So if you have a moment, go to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. That is another great way to support the show for free. As I said, this is the last episode of season two, but I will be back in early May with new episodes. In the meantime, sharing some old episodes and clips and things like that. So I'm not really going anywhere. I'll still be on the social media and staying in touch and looking forward to seeing you all for season three.